This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is June 13th, and this is the Wednesday healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I have healthcare specialist Todd Campbell on the line. Hey, Todd. Hi, Christine. Are we ready to do our sequel? We are. So those of you who listen every week will have noticed that last week when Todd and I were covering Gilead Sciences, we got a little bit carried away. And I looked up and the clock was way longer than it should have been. And so we decided to save what was supposed to be the second half of that show and just do it fresh, clean, rejuvenated this week. So last week when we talked Gilead, we talked about them because they are this giant biotech that's been kind of disappointing for investors, ourselves included. And we wanted to talk about what's next for this company. Is it worth still having shares? And why Why did shares fall so much to begin with? And so now we want to tell a similar story with another big biotech, Celgene, which has also had a kind of lackluster stock performance. They're down about 30% over the past three years. So what happened? Yeah, I think the whole interest in the topic was sparked by Foolfest, right, Christine? They had a lot of people who came up to you and were asking about um, these two companies, and it makes sense, right? I mean, they, they belong, they're in our portfolio. They're, they're probably owned in your portfolio, listeners, and even if you don't think that you own them, you probably own them because they're both very large companies uh, that are members of very popular indexes. And, you know, one of the things I think that is very difficult, and we talked about this on last week's show, is when you have companies that are big and they're stumbling, um, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to stick with those ideas. And, you know, Christy, I think you and I were both thinking, you know, about uh, about looking at the show and trying to figure out, you know, how can we help put all of that in perspective for our listeners so they can figure out whether or not, you know, is the, are these stocks that you want to continue to own uh, in the future, or or is your money best placed somewhere else? And you know, you look at Celgene and and what's gone on at Celgene over the course of last year. And if if that was your only history or exposure to Celgene, you would think that this was a, a company that 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 really just does not have its act together. And maybe in some ways that that that's far from the truth. I mean, they they had had multiple setbacks, right, Christine? They had GED 301 fail in Crohn's disease. Um, they were forced to to roll back their 2020 sales outlook by about $2 billion because of that failure and some slower sales of their psoriasis drug, a Tesla, last summer. And then they got a what I think is probably the, 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 the biggest blow to them was the stumble that they had in receiving the refusal to file letter that they had gotten from the FDA on their multiple sclerosis drug, Ozonamide. Yeah, there are a handful of concerns for this company, and we'll talk a little bit more about each one and how they are planning to address the different concerns. But I do want to point out that we used to be so impressed with this stock because they had this five-year long-term guidance that they were going to be doing $21 billion in sales by the year 2020. And they still have a pretty impressive projection for their future sales growth runway, but they did have to revise it downwards after a couple of these stumbles. 
So let's take them one by one. Uh, the failure of GED 301-0301 in Crohn's. This was back in October 2017. This is a drug that had a peak sales estimate of around $2 billion, and it just wasn't an effective drug, they found out. And when this uh, failure happened, the company lost about $10 billion in market cap, which is a very big reaction to a single drug in a large and diversified company. Yeah, and it wasn't even really one of the most, you know, anticipated drugs that the company was developing. So it, it took people by surprise. I mean, obviously, phase three trials, you never want to see that happen. You, hopefully, you've in phase one trials, which are really small and not that costly to run, you discover problems and you get rid of it. If it goes into phase two, those are a little bit bigger trials, but they're still less costly than the phase three trials. So maybe, you know, you, you've discovered trouble there and you get away from the drug and, and don't continue developing it. So when you get into phase three, I mean, it's a blow. You've made a big commitment uh, to fund that trial and enroll all these patients for this long period to evaluate the efficacy and the safety of the drug. So, yes, it's disappointing that GED 301 uh, did did fail in Crohn's disease, a multi-billion dollar indication, as you just alluded to, but certainly not the only thing that was going on at Celgene. And, and perhaps, you know, Christine, you know, I like you said, rolling back the guidance, you know, that was also tied to uh, some disappointing sales growth for Tesla in the back half of last year. Sales of a Tesla have reaccelerated, as we'll sure we'll talk about um, in, in a minute. Uh, and then, of course, the Ozanamod um, setback was was, I think, even the, the, the biggest problem because it, that is a drug that would compete against the four billion dollar Tecfidera oral multiple sclerosis drug, and the $3 billion Galenia, which is a Novartis drug for multiple sclerosis. And, you know, theoretically, that that just a massive um, market opportunity for the company that's now been delayed. And I think a lot of people have been wondering, you know, how long is it delayed? You know, is the refusal to file mean that, the, that, that this drug is going to be dead in the water? And again, we'll talk about this in a minute, I'm sure, but it does not necessarily appear that way. Right. But the biggest part of this failure that investors need to remember is that it's more a failure of the management team and how competent they are. Honestly, a refuse to file is kind of embarrassing. This is the FDA determining that your drug application isn't complete. They needed more information. And I just saw in the news earlier this morning that uh, recently the uh, president of hematology and oncology for Celgene, Nadim Ahmed, remarked that it wasn't Celgene's fault. It was actually the fault of Receptos, which is a company that Celgene acquired back in 2015 for $7.2 billion. Ozanamod was the reason for that acquisition. And so uh, Ahmed gave this quote about how I'm just going to read it because honestly, it's kind of it's a burn. He says, I think that 99 percent of folk at Celgene wouldn't have submitted, meaning the application. But we had receptors out on the West Coast. And for whatever reason, the decision was made to submit. Ouch. That is that is like downright rude. Yes. The, the blame game. Right. The blame game. I mean, on the first quarter conference call. They were very, they were very open about the idea uh, uh, about the fact that they've had stumbles, and I like to see that. I like to see leadership admit when they make mistakes and, and take responsibility for it. The buck stops here, if you will. And uh, so I was a little bit, uh, you know, with this thing that came out today. But it, I think that the reason was that they're trying to provide some more context to 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 show people that they've 
gone back and they've looked at what went wrong. You know, cell genes always operate kind of with giving people autonomy. And giving people autonomy is great. Um, unless you're giving them autonomy over a drug, you know, a drug application that they're obviously going to, to drop the ball on in, in the case of this drug. And, that, and that's what happened. And I, so I think that they're looking back at that. And they're saying, OK, you know, we made a mistake. We, sh we should have made sure that all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed before this went in. That, shame on us. We wouldn't have done this. We had given autonomy to Receptos. And we won't make the same mistake again. And I think one of the things you and I are going to talk about in a minute, Christine, probably is the acquisition cell genes done. I'm sure that this is going to shape their future of how they handle uh, drug applications stemming from, from drugs that have been developed by other companies. And Fedrautabib is one that we're going to talk about in a, in a couple minutes, part of that impact bioscience uh, acquisition earlier this year. I, I think that's one of the reasons that they've gone from saying – uh, we'll file in the middle of 2018 to now we're going to file by the end of the year because they really want to make sure that they don't they don't make the same mistake again. Exactly. They they can't make the same mistake again. Making it once was embarrassing enough. And it, like this just isn't something that you see a big biotech flub. Um, and, you know, to that point, we've seen management shakeups, too, because so many things have not gone well for Celgene. The executive suite has had some turnover. And that's another thing that leaves investors jittery. So you add that all up, you add in concerns over their key drug Revlimid, which makes up 63% of revenue. There's some nervousness about how well the patents on Revlimid are going to hold up. And so you add that all up and you have a stock that has not performed as well as it was expected to several years ago. And with yet, all Christine, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that I mean that that's all in the rear view. That sets the stage. And we want to talk about the most recent quarterly results and we'll also go to what's going to happen in the quarters and the years and years ahead. But first a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of the merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they've created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast. And we're back. So what happened in the most recent quarter? Todd, can you lay out the numbers for us? You would have thought by the way the stock is acted that this was just a dismal, dismal quarter. But Christine, sales were up 19% year over year to 3.5 billion. That's not uh, that's pretty darn good for a company this size to still be growing nearly 20% year over year. And importantly, over 15.5% of the growth didn't come from pricing; it came from volume, which shows that there's still a tremendous amount of demand for its top-selling drugs. Which you already in the early part of the show you mentioned Revlimid, which is their their biggest-selling drug. Sales of that drug were up 19% to $2.2 billion. Pomalist, which is another multiple myeloma drug, right? Revlimid's used in the maintenance setting and the first-line setting uh, of multiple myeloma. Pomalist is used in the third-line setting. Sales of that drug jumped 24% to $453 million. Otesla, which we also talked about or mentioned really quickly before, that's a psoriasis drug. 
Sales have reaccelerated now. They're up 46% year over year in the first quarter, 353 million. And then Abraxane, which has kind of had just a single digit grower over the course of the last couple of years, that's a pancreatic cancer drug. Sales of that drug were like 262 million. So I, I, I think you've got this franchise of really big drugs that are growing, you know, by, I don't know, growing very well for the size that they are. And it's being driven by volume, not pricing. And those are all good things in my, in my view. Yeah, and price increases are driving the the sales a little bit, but it is very important to note how much of it is really volume, um, because you can't keep kicking up prices forever, especially because those patents will eventually expire, meaning that you can't just rely on prices going up and up and up forever, but rather building that market share is super important. Um, also important is looking down the line at what is coming next. Aside from these four drugs that we highlighted, what will be the future drugs that we highlight when we give the earnings rundown? I think one that is very exciting, although a bit early stage, is in oncology. This comes out of a partnership with Bluebird Bio, and it's a drug called BB2121, which is a CAR-T therapy, which is something that we've talked about plenty on the show. It's a new way of treating cancer. Right, you're tacking, you're going after right now, the target is the BCMA protein, which is slightly different than the CAR-Ts that have already won approval. And that's allowing its use uh, in multiple myeloma. You know, Christine, if if this is, um, if they can duplicate the, the data that's been demonstrated so far for this drug, and they can get this, this is a remarkable, revolutionary, game-changing um, potential medication for people who have tried and failed and tried and failed on multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma, you know, Revlimid and Pomalist and some of these other drugs that have come out of the last, you know, 10 years or so have done a great job in improving overall survival and extending out um, the time in between uh, progression. Um, but there's, there's still a, a really, really big unmet need in the fourth line or higher, meaning patients that have had four or more prior treatments and they're relapsing or the refractory. And I think that BB2121 could not only uh, win approval as soon as next year in that fourth line setting, I think that over time, uh, I think that Celgene is looking at this as a potential successor to Revlimid and to Pomalist. Because what you've seen with Revlimid is that Revlimid is now you know, most widely used in the first line setting, it's getting increasingly used in um in in the 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 post transplant setting um and now palmalist is moving from the third line up potentially to the second line after some strong data that it's demonstrated and then you can roll this bb2121 in as the fourth line and eventually move that up so maybe revlimid loses patent protection in a few years and palmalist takes over as a first line setting and then, then you know bb2121 becomes a second line drug and maybe a first line drug you know what i mean Yep, absolutely. And I think the key to whether or not uh, BB2121 will be able to move up the lines like that will be safety, of course. It's something that we talk a lot about with the CAR-T drugs because it, safety has been an issue, particularly cytokine release syndrome, which is when these millions of destroyed cancer cells enter the bloodstream all at once, and it causes this very deadly reaction um, in the body. But fortunately, even though most of the patients that were dosed with a sufficient amount of this drug had some evidence of CRS, 
not very many were hospitalized and none of them were life threatening. And so that's that's pretty promising. That's going to be really essential to watch because it has shuttered other uh, CAR T programs before, which I guess is a good time to jump right over to uh, Juno and their drugs. So Celgene acquired Juno earlier this year for its CAR T program. So this is another way that Celgene is exposing itself to the CAR T market. And their lead drug, which is JCAR 017, is right now in phase three. So that is even farther along than BB2121 is. And right now it's looking very promising. They're looking at a potential approval for the drug in 2019 after seeing in uh, relapsed or refractory non-Hodgkin's lymphoma data that there was durable responses with good safety. You know, we can't talk about either of these drugs, BB2121 or JCAR17, which is Lisocell now, uh, without mentioning the ASCO conference from, what, two weeks ago? We can we can have ago? Yep, major uh, oncology conference. Yeah, and there was new data that was presented on both of these drugs. And I think that, you know, our listeners are probably, you know, want to get updated on that as well. One of the things on, B, just to go back on BB2121 for a second because of the ASCO data, people may have been looking at it and saying, well, I don't understand, you know, if BB2121 had new data and the data looked so good and Todd, you say it could be revolutionary. Why didn't cell gene shares pop more than they did after after all that data came out at ASCO. And I think that you need to recognize that there was a little bit of a hype factor. There was a whisper number out there that BB2121 could extend progression-free survival to as much as 15 months in that late line um, uh, indication. And where it came in at was about a year, so 12 months, so a few months shy of that whisper number. Um, and I think that that disappointed some people. But what you need to remember, listeners, you need to remember is that's about three times longer then the existing therapies can delay progression. Um, so this is this is still, a, 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 despite missing the whisper number, still a really big thing. And then if you look at the, just jumping back over to JCAR17, because it's easier to say JCAR17, um, you know, if you look at their data at ASCO, lots to like there too. You know, you had a 49% overall response rate, um, it, it, you know, in the group. You had 46% complete response rate, which is great. And importantly, like we kind of you were alluding to before about the safety with these CAR T's, low rates of severe adverse events that theoretically could derail this drug and keep it from getting uh, approval. Specifically, very low rate relative to what we've seen in other CAR T's that have already won FDA approval of cytokine release syndrome, CRS, and of neurotoxicity. The neurotoxicity rate was only 13%. And I want to say that with these other CAR T's that have won approval, it's been north of 20%. So we talked about their partnership with Bluebird. We talked about the acquisition of Juno. Let's talk about another acquisition and where that currently stands. So uh, earlier this year, I believe it was in January, Celgene acquired a company called Impact Bio for this drug called Fidratinib, which you mentioned earlier in the show, Todd. This was actually originally a Sanofi drug that was scrapped after the FDA halted trials due to safety. And some Sanofi researchers decided that they were going to create Impact back in 2016 to continue developing this drug because it looked really promising from an efficacy standpoint. So they are currently studying it in myelofibrosis, where currently the standard of care is this blockbuster drug called Jacophy, but up to 75% of patients that are on Jacophy discontinue it within five years because of toxicity or intolerance. So clearly there is room for a better standard of care here, and that's where fedratinib comes in. Yeah, this is, a, this is a poor prognosis, limited treatment options for people with myelofibrosis. Fedratinib's trials, like you said, 
efficacy looked good already in treatment-naive patients, the so patients who hadn't been treated with Jacopy, and in patients who had been treated with Jacopy but um, could no longer tolerate or, or, or discontinue treatment with it. So you had you know, good data. Um, and then what happened is that, that these people who left Sanofi, they went back and they looked at all the data, they crunched everything, went that back to the FDA and they said, listen, we looked at all this data and this is how we think we can explain the safety concern that you had. FDA agreed and they lifted the clinical trial hold. And that's what sparked Celgene going out and saying, okay, we'll buy you. Um, and now of course they're, they're hopefully crossing all those T's and dotting all those I's in preparation for filing that for FDA approval, which theoretically could come in soon as 2019. So you could get uh, BB2121, you could get JCAR17, and you could get Fregratinib decisions from the FDA within the next year to 18 months. One more somewhat short-term catalyst for Celgene is phase three data for a drug called loose Patercept in MDS and beta thalassemia. That's expected pretty much any day now. Uh, this drug is something that Celgene is working on with a company called Acceleron Pharma. And basically what it does is it restores production of red blood cells in patients with a handful of different diseases, hopefully reducing the need for blood cell trans transfusions, mm -hmm. which are not only kind of risky, I, they carry the risk of iron overload, which can be very damaging to organs, but they're also extremely burdensome to patients and their families. Big time, big time. If you ask these patients if they'd be willing to try a new drug, a new therapy that can reduce that transfusion burden, overwhelmingly they say, yes, we absolutely would. If you look at Celgene's most recent investor presentation, you'll notice that they broke this drug out as a potential $2 billion or more um, in peak sales opportunity. So the data that we're getting is phase three trials on in both of those indications. If the, the data is good, then I would expect that again, within the next six, nine months, we're gonna see FDA applications and then a decision 10 to 12 months after that. So maybe as early as 2020 uh, for a multi-billion dollar you know, indication. Now, the, Christine, everybody's on the edge of the seat, right? Because of all the stumbles that they've had you know, people are looking at this going, oh, please don't let this drug implode too. Yeah, I, I think any sort of additional stumble would be pretty severely punished by investors. But honestly, I would go out on a limb and say that any sort of reaction like that would probably be an overreaction. At this point, I think Celgene they know what they're doing. They are being very careful and they have so many different irons in the fire. I mean, honestly, we could go on and detail every single drug in their pipeline and we would be here all day long. But this is a company that certainly has a lot of scrutiny on it right now and they don't have a lot of room for error. But I do have to say that in the long term, I think they will be just fine. I mean, for example, we talked about Ozanimod earlier in the show. They're going to resubmit that for approval and the long term expectations of peak sales of $4 billion, that's not going to change. It's just a delay. It's a little bump in the road. This drug is still something that long-term investors should be excited about. It's expanding even beyond MS. They're looking at phase three data from ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. I believe both those trials are starting up this year. Um, and you know, they're also able to expand the label of the other drugs that are in their pipeline or in, in their product portfolio already approved to treat more and more patients. Absolutely. And maybe the takeaway, if you want to just, because you, like you said, we could talk about every single drug in the pipeline. We would have three shows. We'd have sequel after sequel. It would be like Star Wars. Um, but if we look at the late stage pipeline, and again, this is 
take it from a grain of salt because it's what management is saying and they have disappointed us in the past year. But if you look at their late stage pipeline, they believe that those drugs could add $16 billion in sales through 2030 and that there could be as many as 10 different blockbuster launches. So yes, lots of different irons in the fire, a lot of different opportunities for growth, especially when you think about that, right? 16 billion by 2030 from these new drugs, Christine, and sales this year are going to be what, Mm 14.8? So more in sales, potentially, from the pipeline than they're generating out right now. And even though, you know, you may be looking at it and saying, yeah, but they ratcheted back their 2020 guidance. And yes, if this pattern that that fails too, then they're going to have to ratchet back again, right? But the way it stands right now, you're still talking about a company that's forecasting 14.5% compounded annual sales growth between now and 2020, despite all its struggles. Exactly. And it's also a company that's trading pretty cheaply. If you look at almost all valuation multiples for Celgene, it looks like a bargain. And so if you do still have confidence in management's uh, estimates, which sound very promising, and I I personally do have confidence in that, uh, and you you think that some of these drugs look promising, um, you like their strategy, which is another thing that I, I know, Todd, you and I have talked about a ton on the show is the strategy of partnering with companies early on that look promising and working with them to develop these drugs so that you have a finger in a bunch of different pots and hopefully all of them will do great. But even if not, you know, it's it's like constructing an ETF where maybe not all of those partnerships will be winners, but some of them will win so much that it'll more than make up for the losers. So, I mean, for me, the line that you just read, Todd, about the $16 billion in additional sales through 2030 and 10 potential blockbuster launches, that is bolded in my notes because I do think that that is really the bottom line of this story. Right. I own the stock. I'm down on the stock. You may be as well, fellow listeners, right? So the question then becomes, do I have any plans to sell it? No. No, this is part of a long-term portfolio. I have a diversified portfolio. This happens to be one stock in it. Would I love it if it was at a gain right now? Absolutely. Uh, but I'm going to give these, this company a, a pretty wide berth. And, and yeah, there could be some stumbles along the way, but I think that over time, I'll be rewarded for patience. Yep, I, I believe the same. All right. Thank you so much, Todd. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening and Fool On. These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, 
Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast.